So I have a question to start off with. If someone were to go up to you and ask you, hey, what kind of hope do you have? What would your answer be? Would your answer be some kind of living hope? Or would your answer be some kind of dying hope? You see, I ask the question because dying hope is that kind of hope that really doesn't have any eternal value. Dying hope is that kind of materialistic hope that really satisfies you maybe for a moment, but then it disappears. And I don't think it takes an entire Google search for us to understand that we actually live in a culture that has its ultimate hope in this kind of dying hope. You see, culture tells us that, they, that you need to put your ultimate hope on making the most money that you can make, on, putting, on, on making all of this money, because when you have all of this money, that's when you have your greatest peace. But you see, that's, that's actually not true. Because instead of putting our, our, our faith in this Prince of Peace, man, culture is saying, no, put your peace in this green piece of paper. And the thing is, we need to find our peace and our hope in the Prince of Peace. When we look at culture, culture also says, you know what? We can find our ultimate hope in, in, in maybe having this sexual intimacy outside of marriage. Because when you have this sexual intimacy outside of marriage, man, that's when you'll never feel lonely again. And that's what culture says. And so instead of putting our, our absolute hope in, in the arms of the one who is love and the arms of the one who truly knows our heart, culture tells us, no, 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 run to the person who you can run to their arms and what will probably happen is they'll probably break a heart that they never really knew. That's what culture says. That we need to run to this person rather than running to the one who is love. Something else that culture says that maybe is the ultimate hope Culture says that maybe our ultimate hope is entertainment. I say, man, maybe if we run to entertainment, it'll distract us from our sadness. It'll distract us from all of these things. It'll distract us from really uh, all the hurt that we're feeling, all the hurt that we've experienced. Culture says run to the entertainment. Run to the distraction. And what's interesting is that culture is telling us to run towards these numbing distractions rather than running to the director of our life and the comforter of our life. That's what we see culture telling us to do. And as we look at all of this, as we look at what culture is teaching us, we have to be careful. Because things like money and sexual intimacy and, and even entertainment within themselves are not exactly evil. It's when we begin to put our, our ultimate hope in them that they're evil. Because in the right biblical context, man, those are okay but we have to understand that our ultimate hope is not in those things. Our ultimate hope is in the eternal value who is Jesus. Because hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus came down to earth, came down to our filth, and presented himself as the ultimate hope. And what I just hope, honestly, for us this morning is that we'll look at God's word. And we will understand, because hope has a name, and his name is Jesus, hope never dies. Hope never dies, and I just hope that there's something that resonates in you that because hope never dies, we have this eternal value for today and tomorrow because we have a living hope. And so what I want us to do is I want us to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So turn with me there. And as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, I just want to say hello 
to everybody. Uh, my name is Misael, and just welcome to the Mission Church. I'm so excited that you're here, and I'm excited to go through uh, this, this passage with you because I think it's a passage that's so timely for us. And it's within the context of a sermon series called Transformed, uh, like you saw in that bumper video. And this whole sermon series of Transformed really just speaks to how God is with us in the suffering. It speaks to how God walks with us in the moments of trials, but it also speaks to how God is the one who transforms people and situations in our life. And as we look at these verses together, because we're going to be in verses 3 to 9, as we look at these verses, I want you to keep two things in mind. The first one is we have to remember that Peter is writing to a people who are suffering because they are Christians. They're Christians, and so they're suffering because they follow Jesus. And then there are also these people who you'll see who have never physically seen Jesus with their eyes. So these people that Peter is writing to are in the same boat that we are, in the same boat that we've never physically seen Jesus with their eyes, but they were believing in truth, they were believing in faith in what Jesus had done and what they had heard Jesus do. And so if you're there at 1 Peter with me, let's go ahead and stand up, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 3 to 9 together. So it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord, and praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. So again, the main, the main idea of this whole little passage is that hope never dies. So if you're there eating lunch today, and someone says, hey, what did you learn at church today? You can say, hey, hope never dies dies. And that's something that we can hold on to. And hope never dies is because we have a living hope. Like I'm not going to put my hope in another human being. Why? Because they're going to die. I'm not going to hope, uh, all, I'm not going to put all my hope in money because guess what? You will always need a little bit more money. And I'm not going to put my hope in, in this other person. Or I'm not going to put my hope in all these other things because they just flee and they disappear and they go away. But the only hope that never dies is Jesus, our living hope. And that's why I say hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. He's our resurrected Savior. He's the perfect one. He's the one who defeated death for us, and Jesus lives. He didn't stay dead. Our Savior lives. And you see, our Savior, our hope, is rich in power. Our hope, our Savior, is rich in mercy is rich in grace, is rich in peace, is rich in eternal life. Understanding that once our time here on earth is over, 
we have hope that we will be in a perfect place with our perfect Savior, with our perfect hope. And so we'll see that this hope, whose name is Jesus, changes our destination, changes our devastation, and even changes our demeanor. And so I want to point you to the very first point of this passage, and it's this, is that hope transforms our destination. Hope transforms your destination. And we actually see this in verses 3 to 5, and I just want to read it over you one more time with that thing in mind, that hope transforms your destination. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance, inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of, sal- of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I read that to you again just to let it sit in your heart that hope transforms our destination. And what Peter does here at the very beginning, he just kind of sets the tone of the theme. He sets the tone that God should be praised, that God should be blessed, And then he describes he should be blessed because he has given us this grace and this mercy that is called new birth. You see, he uses this word new birth to indicate salvation, that salvation is really new birth because it has changed everything in us. Salvation is is this new birth because honestly, human beings were so corrupted by sin that we couldn't just be like dusted off and picked back up or, or like made better. No, no, no. We had to be made brand new. We had to be given new souls as new creations, born into a new family. That's why we have to be born new, new birth into a living hope. And it's all because of the grace of God for us, the mercy of God for us. And I love it that Jesus came to us and for us, not because of what we did, and not because of who we are. It's not like God was like, all right, man, I'm just going to watch, and whenever I see someone share their food, mm, that's when they're deserving for me to come. Like, that's when they're deserving for me to go down and sacrifice myself for them, because, man, that was my cue. That's not what God was doing. The thing is, God came because he saw us and said, man, they can't save themselves, so I'm going to give them the gift of salvation, the gift of new birth, the gift of being with me in this amazing and beautiful representation of this relationship. And what's so amazing about salvation and so amazing what's described as new birth is because it does change everything. If you guys remember Caleb Freeman last week, uh, Caleb Freeman was here, a, a kid who really should have died, but God saved him physically and then saved him spiritually. I don't know if you remember what he said, but he said this, he said, God saved me and and really did a miracle in me physically, but it was the spiritual miracle in me that just changed everything. He goes, it changed everything, even my personality. When I used to be shy of being on stage, now you can't get me off. When I used to be shy talking to people, now you can't get me to shut up and talking about Jesus. And so it changed everything, even up to his personality. And when we look at this, when we look at this living hope, this new birth, it says two things. It says this new birth into a living hope, this eternal relationship with the living God. But then it also says, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Meaning, into this eternal place without sin, that we can have this perfect and beautiful relationship with the living God. You see, Jesus' spiritual and physical resurrection 
is just so incredible for us because he literally defeated death. He literally transformed our destination from hell to heaven. And I know I'm saying all these words, but man, listen to me. Because of Jesus, we don't have a living, we don't have a dying hope. We have a living hope. Because of Jesus, I'll say it one more time, we don't have a dying hope. We have a living hope. And here's what I hope doesn't happen to us. I hope we don't become numb to that. I hope we don't become callous to that. To where you're hearing me say that and you're like, yeah, me said. I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, me said. Cool, 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 cool. But like, what's the life hack that you're going to give me for this next week? Because we become numb sometimes to the gospel. We become numb sometimes to the, just the power and the beauty of what Jesus has done. And we just want the next life hack. Well, here you go. Here's my life hack for you. You ready? Jesus is life. Jesus is the hack. Jesus is the life hack. Okay? Jesus is the one that we need. Jesus is the living hope that we have always been looking for because of this beautiful relationship we have with him. And just, I'm just going to say it. This is a relationship, not a religion. And so what's the difference between relationship and religion? Well, I'm going to pretend like we have a mountain here. You with me? Is this a mountain to you? Yes? All right, you're with me. You're with me. All right. So imagine this mountain, okay? This is what religion says. Religion says that there is this God up top in this mountain, and then religious tells us that we are down here in the mountain, and religion says, okay, here are all the things that you need to do, here are all the things you need to do, you need to do, you need to do to climb and scale the mountain to get to God. That's what religion says. Here's what the truth is, what the Bible says, what the reality is, that yes, there is this mountain, and yes, God is on top, and yes, we're at the bottom, but it's a relationship to where God and his grace and his love said, you know what, there is nothing you can do to climb this mountain. It's too big for you. It's too hard for you. You just can't, sorry. But God says, I'm gonna come down to you and I'm gonna make a way for you. And you know what? <laughs> At the bottom of the mountain, you weren't doing this. You were just dropped dead. So I'm gonna breathe life into you. I'm gonna pick you up and say, yeah, come on with me. I'm gonna put you on my back. I'm going to take you up the mountain. There is this total difference between religion and relationship. And let's not become numb to that. Because we totally can. And I'll say it again for those in the back. Jesus is the life hack. Just I'll let you know. Jesus is the life hack. And so as we continue to just look at this passage together. Thanks to Jesus all of this is possible. And, and thanks to Jesus when he makes us brand new. He makes a reservation in heaven for us. That's what he says. You have an, an inheritance that will never perish, but it will fade. An inheritance that's kept for you in heaven. And so it's just an amazing moment that we have this reservation in heaven where we will be able to be face-to-face -face with Jesus. And it's a reservation that is not hindered by death. It's not hindered by anything evil. It's not hindered by time. You see, the Israelites were looking for the promised land, but we'll have the perfect land. But it's this reservation, it's this moment in heaven that is honestly death-proof, sin-proof, and time-proof. And it's amazing. And this inheritance that we have is not just given it, it's just not just given by God, but it's also guarded by God as well. And we see this here that it is the one, it is God who shields us by his power. And so it's just amazing that if God is the one that guards our soul, if God's the one that guards our inheritance, 
That means our soul and our inheritance can never be stolen. It can never be lost. It can never be shaken because God is the one who guards it. God is the one who has given it. And so that's the first thing we see. We see that hope transforms our destination. Hope transforms your destination. So then here's the second thing that we see, and we actually see it in verses 6 to 7. So the second point, verses 6 to 7, is this. Hope transforms your devastation. Hope transforms our devastation. So let me read verses 6 to 7 for us. So in verse 6, it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Here's another question for you. How many of you have ever just felt devastated? Let me see the hands up there. Just absolutely devastated. Yeah, it feels like the worst. The feeling is terrible. But you know, we have a, we have a hope that transforms our devastation into celebration. And even as I say that, you might be looking at me like, yeah, me said, but you don't know what I've gone through. Me said, you just said that hope, our living hope, transforms our devastation to celebration, but you don't know all the things that I've had to go through. Well, I'm here to tell you, you're right. I don't. I don't know everything. But here's what I do know. When I read this, when I trust in the Lord and say, okay, Lord, your word is true and right, what I know is that our living hope transforms our perspective. Our living hope transforms a perspective of time where it feels like this moment of devastation lasts an eternity, but God's word just says, you know what, it's actually just a little while. You've suffered it just, just a little bit because in the grand scope of eternity, yeah, it's like this much. It's like a second. It's there and then it goes. Your suffering is just for a moment. And so we see that our hope transforms our perspective of time, but it also transforms our perspective of suffering. When we see here, and even when we see James chapter 1, we see that this suffering, our perspective of suffering as believers should be that suffering is valuable. That suffering should be counted as joy. Why? Because suffering is a way that we can be uh, formed and molded into more godliness, into righteousness. We can be formed and say, man, we can be refined by fire. And that's really what Peter says. He says, you know, suffering is so valuable because it really grows us in our faith. And you see, a faith that has been maybe gone through the fire and refined is actually worth more than any gold you could put through the fire and refine. That this faith is way more valuable than any kind of riches that we could have. And why? Why is that? Why is this faith so valuable to us? Why is suffering honestly so valuable to us in our faith? Well, it says it right here. So it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So there's a reality that suffering refines us. And honestly, I, part of my testimony is that suffering refined me. It was when I was uh, cheated on and, and broken up with and all these kind of things when I was 16 years old that God used to refine me, grab my attention, and say, hey, I'm going to call you to ministry. Like my ears were all open because of my suffering. And I was just like, Lord, I'm just looking for you and I'm looking for you and I'm looking for you. So there is this reality 
That suffering does refine us. But then there's other people who will ask you, who have asked me, Misael, why does God allow suffering to happen? Why does God allow that? Well, I like to answer it like this. Technically, God didn't, and then we sinned against him, and then he did allow it because his whole plan was to send Jesus to suffer for us. Think about that. God didn't allow it, but then we sinned against him. So then God's plan was to allow suffering in order for Jesus to come to us, to suffer for us, to die for us, to be crucified for us. And you see this whole suffering, man, it's, it brought glory to God. Jesus' suffering brought glory to God the Father and made a way for us. And so because of Jesus' suffering, because of Jesus' scars, because of Jesus' sacrifice and then his resurrection, we can be saved. We can be giving new birth into a living hope, into a living inheritance. And so it's amazing to see this. And, you know, I actually, actually read a book a couple of years ago that kind of gave this picture of, like, what would happen if we could have, like, a coffee shop conversation with God and say, hey, God, um, I want you to take away all the suffering in the world. And so in this book, it describes what would happen if God was like, all right, cool. And so in this book, you have this moment where God takes all the suffering out of the world. And then this guy and God are walking around. Now that God has taken away all the suffering, and this guy looks at this baby in a stroller. And the baby's like sucking its thumb. And then it takes its thumb out. But what he finds is that there's not a thumb and it's just bleeding. But the baby's not crying. The baby's just there. And he's like, hmm, it starts sucking another finger. The baby didn't realize that it was bleeding out. The baby didn't realize that there was hurt. Why? Because there was no suffering. So then the baby died because nobody knew what was happening. Another, another time in this book, uh, the person describes this coffee shop conversation with God and says, God, man, suffering just sucks. And I just, I want everyone to feel pleasure all the time. I just want everyone to be happy all the time. I want everybody to just, you know, feel good all the time. And God's like, all right. He does it, and again, this guy's walking with God down the streets, and what this guy sees is everyone just kind of standing like this. What he sees is everyone just kind of like, and the guy's like, hey, uh, hey, hey God, why, why is nobody moving? And he goes, oh, well, really, they don't have to move a muscle to feel pleasure. They don't have to move a muscle to be happy. They don't have to move a muscle to find joy, and so there's no need to walk anymore. There's no need to do anything anymore. And so it's this fascinating thought experiment of what would happen if God really answered that prayer. And I think it just helps us understand that the way the world is created right now is the best case scenario and, and suffering is the best case scenario because it's valuable to us and it was through suffering that, that Jesus made a way for us. So I know, yeah, yeah. And so suffering is valuable, and it brings us joy and brings glory to God. So we've seen that, that hope transforms our destination. We've also seen that hope transforms our devastation. And the third thing that we're going to see is that hope transforms our demeanor. Hope transforms your demeanor, and that comes from verses 8 to 9, and I'll read that again for us. 
Starting verse 8, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not seek him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, hope transforms your demeanor. Um, When we think about this, when we think about faith, all of us exercise faith in some way, shape, or form. Even the atheist exercises faith. But you see, how are you going to exercise your faith? And And I'll put it this way. You see, I believe that George Washington actually lived, and I believe the eyewitness account that was written in the history books of what George Washington stood for, what he did, even those things that he did that still affect us now, like I believe he was a real person, existed, and his presidency still has an effect on us today. But also, in the same way, I believe with all of my heart, the eyewitness account of Jesus because I never, I've never seen George Washington. I don't think you guys have seen George Washington physically. But I've never seen Jesus physically. But again, with my whole heart, I believe the true eyewitness account that is written about Jesus. I truly believe with all my heart that he existed and that he walked in this earth absolutely perfect as fully God and fully man. And that he died for my sin and that he rose from the grave three days later. And that all of that is true. And and Peter is writing to a people saying, yeah, you've never seen George Washington. You've never seen Jesus. But man, this is so true. And you believe in him because what Jesus did when he was here affects what is happening today. Has affected what happens today. It's historical. It's true. But also the beautiful thing about Jesus, that's not the beautiful thing about George Washington is that I've been able to personally experience Jesus spiritually. At a spiritual level, I've been able to experience him, to feel his love, feel him walking with me. And I want to tell you what what Peter says, these people, man, though you've never seen him, love him. Though you've never seen him, believe in him. And then we can look at John chapter 20, verse 21. And these are Jesus' words. Jesus says, um, he's talking to Thomas. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. And so we we are blessed as a people to believe in Jesus. And so the reason I say that hope transforms our demeanor is because sometimes in suffering, we kind of walk around like this, you know? Like we kind of just drag as we suffer. We kind of, with our heads down, it's like, man, I'm just suffering. But what hope does is that it lifts your head and it says, no, 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 remember. Remember him who you've never seen but who is so, so true. Remember him who has defeated death for you. Remember your Savior. Remember the one who has given you new birth. Remember the one who is always with you. Remember that you are on the resurrected team. Remember. Hope has transformed your demeanor in those moments of suffering, even though it hurts so much, because it does. We can take the next step with our heads high, lifted up and saying, man, Jesus, thank you that I'm on the resurrected team. Thank you for that new birth that you've given me. Thank you for the living hope that's in my life. And so as we end, I just want to give you this application, because suffering, if you're not in it, you're about to be in it. Here's kind of the application for us. Let's praise God. 
but it's gonna go a little bit deeper than that. Let's, let's praise God in every moment and every situation. And so I just wanna give you this statement. I'll praise God even if I'm suffering. I'll praise God even if I'm getting bullied. I'll, I'll praise God even if my marriage is struggling. I'll praise God even if I'm struggling in my singleness. I'll praise God even if, even if I feel lost in this world. I'll praise God even if I, um, man, even if I don't have a perfect family. Man, I'll praise God even if I'm a widow. I'll, I'll praise God even, even in those moments that I'm confused. I'll praise God even when I'm anxious about money. I'll praise God even when I'm anxious about the future. I'll praise God even in those moments where I feel like I'm just growing old. I'll praise God even in the moments where I'm the only one praising God. I'll praise God even in those moments where I'm the only one praising God in my family, in my friends, in my school. I'll praise God even if fill in the blank. So this week, this month, in those moments of suffering, you say, man, I'm going to praise God even if. Even if. Because it's in those moments of praising God that you remember who he is and what he's done. And so I just want to tell you, I'll praise God even if I die. I'll praise God even if I know tomorrow is my last breath. Why? Because in Christ, we can view death with optimism knowing that we serve a God and we have a God who deals in futures, where he's saying, man, Messiah, you have hope for today and for tomorrow because of what I did in the past, because of my resurrection, because of, of my um, grace and mercy to you. So that's the application. Praise God, even if. And because we can see death right in the face and say, yeah, you don't scare me because of my Jesus, I want to give you the Mission Life Challenge. It's this challenge that we're, we're trying to do every single week, something different, to where it's like, okay, this week, here's what I want you to do. So this, this upcoming week, here's the Mission Life Challenge for us. And it's going to sound a little weird, but bear with me. Make funeral preparations. Make funeral preparations. So whether you're the youngest of the young or the oldest of the old, there are two ways that we can prepare for our funeral. Number one is personally. Are we personally prepared to see our Lord face to face? Are we personally prepared for that moment of death where we're like, Jesus, come on, man. Come on. That's the first, that's the first one. But then in a, in a practical level, we have to understand that whenever, whenever we die, we do leave behind some family, some friends. And so, here's some really practical things that maybe you've never heard a pastor say about making funeral preparations. The second thing is, let's prepare our families for our death. Let's prepare our friends for our death. Meaning, is there something that you really just need to tell your family, your friends, before you die? Because you never know what tomorrow holds. Have you, have you planned out your funeral before? Do you know what songs you want in your funeral? Do you know who wants to speak at your funeral? Maybe it'd be good for, for you to just write down those things because honestly, doing a will is important. Being able to know, you know, where your assets are allocated is important. 
at the end of the day, it's like, man, how do I want my family to celebrate me? Because it is a celebration of life when we are in Christ. And so I, I know it's a little weird to say, hey, make funeral preparations, but I hope that just kind of sits in your mind of saying, wait a second, yeah, this, this life is just like this, but I can have hope in the victory that Jesus gives me. And so in this moment, uh, I just want to end by praying for us and praying for you. Um, and if you are someone who says, Misael, I don't think I'm on the resurrection team. I don't, I don't think I'm someone who's ever really put my faith and trust in Jesus. I don't think I've, if I've ever really surrendered my life to him in such a way that God has made me brand new. Man, I want to pray for you too. So let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, in this moment, we come to you humbly, but yet boldly, praising you that hope never dies because we have a living hope in you into a new birth, into a new inheritance. Lord, thank you that we have a living hope and not a dying hope because you, Lord, transform our destination, our devastation, our demeanor. Lord, I pray that you would give us confidence to praise you even if Lord, I ask that if there's anyone in here whom which your Holy Spirit is working on, I pray that they would just say yes to you. That they would surrender to you as boss and as Lord. And Lord, I pray that as, as this next week we, we either fine-tune our funeral preparations or begin to think about our funeral preparations, Lord, I pray that you would set our hearts on you that we would do it not out of fear, but out of living hope. That we would teach our families and our friends not just how to live for Jesus, but how to die well for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that today is not the end, that death is not the end. That is such great hope, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.